0: Section three of Life and Sayings of Mrs Partington This Librivox recording is in the public domain recording by Deborah Lynn Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington and Others of the Family by BP Shilliber Section three Right and Left There never was a time when the divine right of kings could be better shown, said old Roger, emphasizing the word right significantly. "'Why?' asked the little man from the provinces, looking up. "'Because,' replied he, "'there will soon be none of them left.' An audible whew whistled along the table, and one distinct knock from each boarder denoted equivocal approbation. The dessert was dispensed with. A Little Truth Well Put "'So you've come down to attend the adversary meetings.' said Mrs. Partington, as she surveyed the three trunks and two valises, and a basket that the cab had just left, and the owner of them all, a gentleman in black with a ghostly looking neckcloth. "'Ah!' said he, humoring her conceit and smiling, for he expected to stay some days. "'The adversary we meet, we subdue with the weapons of the spirit.' "'That is just what dear Deacon Spriggs said when he captivated the crazy Injun with New England rum, and then put him in bridle.' says he else subdue him with the sword of the spirit he was such a queer man these meetings are excellent for converting heathens and saving the lost and i do hope after they have saved everybody else that they will try and save a few more of their own that need teaching there is a great many round here that want looking after more than the heathen do and we must look after our own first or be worse than the infiddle's a pair of yarn stockings and a box of butter stopped her mouth for the time and the old silver spoons marked P.P. and the Antique China were brought out, articles that were only used on state occasions. Musical Criticism "'How did you like the concert?' asked Frank of Mrs. Partington at the Oratorio. "'Very much indeed,' said she. "'I liked everything about the Ontario but the consecutives. The corrosives, I thought, were sublimated, but the consecutives, I thought, was dreadfully out of tune. Frank explained to her the object of the recitative, and smiled a little at the queer mistake she had made in musical terms. Bless thee, Mrs. Partington, thy genius, in its extravagance, is never retarded by terms. LIFE ON THE ROAD One summer, during the very hot weather, our Ellen, whose life could number seventeen happy summers and nearly the same number of winters, took it into her little roguish head that she would like to go to Hampton Beach and when such a whim had once got into her head, the question might well be asked how could it be got out. It would be hopeless to attempt it, provided any one were so inclined. But no one said a word, and Ellen did go. She and her little friend Charlotte, who was on a visit to Ellen, started for the beach with lots of precautions and doughnuts from Ellen's mother, for there is not a better soul between here and Great Hill than that same mother of Ellen's. The horse and the wagon, bearing its charming freight of two pretty girls, moved swiftly and safely over the road to the beach, and many a musical echo reverberated through the woods and along the meadows and by the hillsides and from the hilltops as they passed along. The day was very pleasantly spent by the seashore, and when wearied with rambling over the fine smooth beach and sporting in the breakers like naiads, they started on their return home with hearts as light. And eyes as bright as when they set out in the morning, their horse was a spirited animal which could ill brook a whip, and was also emulative to a great degree in competing with other horses for mastery on the road. In fact, he would allow no horse to go by him, and made it a matter of principle that horses are ever governed by principle, to go by all on the road. They had got perhaps half way home when they overtook an oldish sort of a man who was driving a fast horse. Billy, Allen's horse, stuck up his ears and put her with an evident determination of going by. The olden stirred his beast up to the strife, and away they went, over the road as swift as the swallows, neither having the advantage. Alan laughed at the sport, and held the ribbons with the tact of a veteran yehu. The contest was soon decided, for the old chap raised his whip and slightly touched Billy with the lash. Billy impetuously kicked at the insult, but darted like lightning along the road, distancing his competitor in a twinkling. The old man was seen no more by the victors, but over the road they still flew. Billy, heeding, neither rain nor word. The remembrance of the insult put him to his speed, and he dashed along with terrific velocity. Men rushed out and threw up their hands and cried, "Whoa!" women screamed and prophesied woe to them." dogs barked as they skimmed along but no fear was felt by our ellen in her peril her pulse was quick with the excitement but no fear mingled with it her cheek was red as the rose and her eyes laughed as her ringing voice told the people to get out of the way she wound the ribbons round her hands and to keep the middle of the road was her only care bravo ellen bravo and the brave heart and strong arm gave her the victory a two-mile heat The quickest ever ran in our county stands recorded to her fame. This isn't much of a story, but it shows what a true woman can do, and should do, in an emergency. It will not do for Ellen's husband to treat her badly, we can tell him, when he gets her. His bones wouldn't be entirely safe. FANCY DISEASES Diseases is very various, said Mrs. Partington, as she returned from a street-door conversation with Dr. Bolas. The doctor tells me that poor old Mrs. Hayes has got two buckles on her lungs. It is dreadful to think of I declare. The diseases is so various. One way we hear of people's dying of hermitage of the lungs, another way of the brown creatures. Here they tell us of the elementary canal being out of order, and there about tonsors of the throat. Here we hear of neurology in the head, there of an embargo. One side of us we hear of men being killed by getting a pound of tough beef in the sarcophagus, and there another kills himself by discovering his jocular vein. Things change so that I declare I don't know how to subscribe for any disease nowadays. New names and new nostrils takes the place of the old, and I might as well throw my old herb bag away. Fifteen minutes afterwards, Isaac had that herb bag for a target, and broke three squares of glass in the cellar window in trying to hit it before the old lady knew what he was about she didn't mean exactly what she said daguerreotypes what artfulness said mrs partington as she held her miniature in her hand done in the highest style of the daguerrean art the features were radiant with benevolence the cap close fitted about her venerable face bore upon it the faded black ribbon the memento of ancient woe The close-folded kerchief about her neck was pinned with mathematical exactness, while from beneath the cap border struggled a dark grey lock of hair, like a withered branch in winter waving amid accumulated snows. The specs and box were represented upon the table by her side. The picture was like her, and admiration marked every line of her countenance as she spoke. What artfulness here is, and how naturally every liniment is brought out! how nicely the dress is digested she was talking to herself all the while why this old black lute string that i have worn twenty year for paul looks as good as new only it is a little too short-waisted by a great deal oh paul paul sighed she as she sat back in her chair and gazed with a tear in her eye upon an old smoke-stained profile cut in black that had hung for many a year above the mantelpiece oh paul What a blessed thing this is, where art helps Nader, and Nader helps art, and they both help one another. How I wish I had your dear old fizz mahogany done like this. I'd prize it more than gold or silver. She sat still, and looked alternately at the daguerreotype and the profile, as if she hoped the profile would speak to her. But it still looked rigidly forward, thrusting out its huge outline of nose, as if proud of it, and then with a sigh she reclasped the case and deposited the picture in the upper drawer of the old black bureau in the corner ike was all the while burning holes through a pine shingle with one of mrs partington's best knitting needles that and that you do make that child look like a fool wife with all that toggery on him said mr Fogg angrily as they were starting out for a walk dear me says mrs partington meeting them at the door What a doll of a baby, and how much he resembles his papa. Mr. Fogg coughed, and they passed along. On Politics As regards these electrical matters, said Mrs. Partington just before election, she lived on a main street, and the cheering and noise of parties passing her door kept her awake at nights. I don't see the use of making so much fuss about it. Why don't they take some one and give him their sufferings, if he hasn't got any of his own, and let him be governor till he dies, just as they do the judges, and arterwards too, as they sometimes do them, for they might as well be dead a good many of them. Oh, this confusion of noise and hubbub! My poor head aches the hearing of it, and Isaac has got such a cold, looking out of the window at the possessions without nothing on the head. And then what critters they all be, to be sure! Their newspapers are brimful of good resolutions, but ne'er a one of them did I ever know them to keep. They are always resolving, like the showman's resolving views, and one resolution fades away just as quick as another comes. If I could have my way, I would—' "'Hooray! Here they come!' cried Ike, breaking in upon the old lady's remarks, and banging his slate on the floor, and throwing up the window with a vehemence that broke two squares of glass. "'Hooray!' came up in a big chorus from the street, filling Mrs. Partington's little chamber to its utmost capacity with, "'Hooray!' the great element of political life. "'There they go again,' cried she, with their drums and lanterns like crazy critters, and keeping folks awake when they ought to be in the arms of Murphy. Ike pulled in his head and dropped the window, and the good old lady mended the fracture of the glass by a hat and a pair of pants of Ike's with the threat of severe punishment if he ever did so again. But do you suppose she would have kept it? Ike knew better. When the glazier came in the next day to mend the window, she had to tell him the story of how it was broke, but all the blame was on the politicians. "'Don't crowd so, good woman,' said old Roger at the Lowell Institute, as he was waiting his turn to give his name. "'Don't crowd so.' And looking over his shoulder, he met the reproachful glance of Mrs. Partington herself. Who was there for the same purpose he immediately gave way to her and the next morning found himself not divisible by seven or anything like it so much for politeness growled old roger she'll get all the natural religion now and much good may it do her you would have smiled to see the spiteful manner in which the little man said this beautiful reflection interrupted dear me said mrs partington and so she is dear not that she meant so because under that black bonnet is humility and self-praise forms no part of her reflection it was a simple ejaculation that was all our word for it dear me here they are going to have war again over the sea and only for a turkey and it don't say how much it weighed either nor whether it was tender and prince knockamstiff has gone off in a miff and the russian bears and ostriches are all to be let loose to devour the people and heaven knows where the end of it will leave off. War is a dreadful thing, so destroying to temper and good clothes, and men shoot at each other just as if they was gutter-purchase and cheap at that." How sorrowfully the cover of the snuff-box shut as she ceased speaking, and the spectacles looked dewy, like a tumbler in summer heat filled with ice-water, as she looked at the profile of the corporal, with the sprig of sweet fern above it, and the old sword behind the door. What did Ike mean as he stole in and deposited some red article under the cricket upon which her feet rested, and then stole out again? A hissing sound followed. Crack, snap, bang, whiz, when a bunch of crackers and Mrs. Partington, in consternation and cloth slippers, danced about the room, forgetful of distant war and her present alarm. Ah, Ike. Appointing Inspectors Inspectors of Customs? said Mrs. Partington energetically, as she laid down the paper, chronicling some new appointment. Here was a new idea that broke upon her mind like a ray of sunshine through a corn barn. Inspectors of Customs! And she looked up at the rigid profile of the old corporal as if she would ask what he had to say about it. But that warrior had hung there too long to be now disturbed by trifles, and he took no notice of her. Inspectors of Customs! continued she, as she turned her attention to the old black teapot, and then turned out the tea which Celestial Beverage gurgled through the spout in harmony with her reflections, not too strong. That's a new idea to me. But thank Providence I hain't got no customs that I had in his lives they'd inspect as not. Only I'd a little rather they wouldn't. I wish everybody could say so, but I'm afeard there are many customs that won't bear looking into. Well, let every tub stand on its own bottom, I say. I won't cast no speciousness on nobody. But I don't see what they want to do a point any more for, and be to so much suspense when every place has so many in it that will inspect customs for nothing. If they'd only make my next-door neighbor Miss Juniper now, an inspector of customs, they wouldn't need another for a long ways. That's mortally sartain. She stirred her souchong as she ruminated, untasting and ike helped himself unheeded to the last preserved pear there was in the dish mrs partington at tea adulterated tea said mrs partington as she read in the transcript an account of the adulteration of teas in england at which she was much shocked i wonder if this is adulterated and she bowed her head over the steaming and fragrant decoction in the cup before her whose genial odors mingled with the silvery vapor and encircled her venerable pole like a halo it smells virtuous continued she smiling with satisfaction and i know this shushan tea must be good because i bought it of mr shushan himself at reddings adulterated she meandered on pensively as a brook in june and it's agin the commandment too which says don't break that isaac as she saw that interesting juvenile amusing himself with making refracted sunbeams dance upon the wall and around the dark profile, and among the leaves of the sweet fern like yellow butterflies or fugitive chips of new-June butter. The alarm for her crockery dispelled all disquietude about the tea, and she sipped her beverage all oblivious of de la tea infusions. "'Sir, you owe me a cent. Other things may be great,' said old Roger, with a nod, "'besides what's called so. Some very little thing, if tis done well, can be a great one.' In impudence, say, for instance. Yesterday a boy asked me pitifully for a fourpence. I gave him what I thought to be one and passed on. Presently I felt a twitch at my coat-tail and looked round and there stood the boy. Sir, says he, you owe me a cent. This ear won't pass for but five cents. It's crossed. I gave the little rascal a shilling at once. I couldn't help it. The thing was sublime, admirable. Hang me if it wasn't and the little man struck his cane violently on the ground and laughed happily at the supreme impudence displayed in the affair. Guessing at a name. "'Drive him out!' screamed Mrs. Partington, as Ike whistled in an immense house-dog who perambulated the kitchen, dotting the newly washed floor with flowers of mud and audaciously smelling Mrs. Partington's toes as the old lady stood up in a chair to avoid him. "'Drive him out! What is his name, Isaac?' guess replied ike i can't i know perhaps it's watch or ponto or caesar what is it why guess i tell you i can't guess perhaps it's hector or tiger or rover what is his name guess oh you provoking creature i'll be tempered to whip you within an inch of your skin if you provoke me so why don't you tell me i did tell you the first time whined ike pulling the dog's ear with one hand while he wiped his dry eyes with the other. His name is Guess. The old lady was melted by his emotion, and as soon as the dog was sent out, some nice quince jelly settled the difficulty. "'He is such a queer child,' murmured she. "'So bright. I suppose 'twas because he was weaned on pickles.' Ike ate his preserves in silence, but his eye was on the acorn on the post of the old lady's high-backed chair and he thought what a nice top it would make if he could saw it off some day. BURNING WATER "'Well, this is a discovery!' exclaimed Mrs. Partington, smilingly, as she stood with a small picture in her right hand, her left resting upon the pine table, and her eyes fixed upon the flame of a glass lamp that sputtered for a moment, and then shot out a gleam of cheerful light that irradiated every part of the little kitchen, revealing the portrait of Paul upon the wall, and Ike asleep by the fire.' She spoke to herself. It was a way she had, and she met with no contradiction from that quarter. This is a discovery. This lamp was almost burnt out, and I filled it up with water and it burns like the real isle. The experiment was perfectly triumphant. The problem of light from water was demonstrated, and yet, with this vast fact revealed to her, Mrs. Partington, with a modesty equal to that of the great philosopher, who picked up a pocketful of rocks on the shore of the vast ocean of truth smiled with delight at her discovery nor once thought of putting out a patent or selling rights was entirely willing all might burn water that could a striking manifestation i can't believe in spirituous knockings said mrs partington solemnly as some things were related to her which had been seen that appeared very mysterious i can't believe about it for i know if paul could come back He would revulge himself to me here, and wouldn't make me run a mile only to get a few dry knocks. Strange that the world should be so superstitional as to believe such a rhapsody, or think a spirit can go knocking about like a boy in vexation. I can't believe it, and I don't knows I could if that teapot there was to jump off the table right afore my eyes. She paused, and through the gloom of approaching darkness could be seen the determined expression of her mouth. A slight movement was heard upon the table, and the little black teapot moved from its position, crawled slowly up the wall, and then hung passively by the side of the profile of the ancient corporal. The old lady could not speak, but held up her hands in wild amazement, while her snuff-box fell from her nerveless grasp and rolled along upon the sanded floor. She left the room to procure a light, and as soon as she had gone, The teapot was lowered by the invisible hand to its original station, and Ike stepped out from beneath the table, stowing a long string away in his pocket and grinning prodigiously. IKE AND THE ELEPHANT "'Well,' said Ike, looking the elephant directly in the eye, at the same time doubling up his huge fist, as big as a half-cent bun, and putting on an air of defiance after the animal had stolen his gingerbread, "'Well, you got it, didn't you, you old thief-you?' "'I suppose you think you've done thunder and great things, don't you? "'For my part, I don't call it no better than stealing. "'Oh, you may stand there and swing that ridiculous-looking trunk of yourn "'just as much as you're a mind to. "'You can't skewer a fellow, I tell you. "'This is a free country, old club feet, "'and you ain't going to take any more liberties here like that. "'I can tell you it won't be safe for that ingy-rubber hide o' yourn if you do. "'You take my gingerbread away again if you dare, that's all. "'You just try it, you ungainly reptile, you.' Oh, you may look saucy and pretend you don't care, but you just say two words. Just knock that chip off my head, and if I don't give you fits, my name ain't Ike Partington, that's all. Just put down that big ingy-rubber bludgeon, and I'll black your eyes for you, you old tough leather. You darsen't say a word, you ill-mannered old hunch. I'd knock your eye-teeth out if you did. Oh, take it up if you're a mind to. You needn't think to bully it over me, because you're a little bigger'n I am, I can tell you. "'We don't stand no such nonsense as that round here. "'If t'w'n't for that policeman looking here, "'I'd pitch into you like a thousand of bricks. "'I wouldn't get out of your way as people do when you come along, "'and I should like to see you just step on my toes. "'Why can't you just try it now, will you? "'I guess I'd make you hear thunder with them leather apron ears of yourn, "'you big overgrown vagabond you. "'Tain't no use of talking to you, "'but I shall be here, and if you don't mind your eye, "'I'll lick you like blazes afore I go out.' here isaac undoubled his hands and shaking his head threateningly at the huge animal he went over to get a look at the monkeys while the elephant lazily swung his trunk from side to side and good-naturedly fanned himself with his big ears as if he hadn't minded a word the little fellow had said a substitute i haven't got any money said mrs partington as the box came round at the close of a charity lecture but here's a couple of elegant sausages i have brought that you can give the poor creeters. the box-holder looked confounded the people smiled with her view of charity she saw nothing wrong in the act bless thee mrs partington angels shall record the deed on the credit side of thy account and where hearts are judged shall thy simple gift weigh like gold in the day of award wholesome advice isaac said mrs partington as that interesting juvenile was playing a game of knuckle-up against the kitchen wall to the imminent danger of the old clock which ticked nearby. "'This is a marvellous age,' as Deacon Babson says, "'and perhaps there's no harm in him, but I'm afeard no good'll come out of it, no good at all, for you to keep playing marvels all the time as you do. I am afeard you will learn how to gamble and become a bad boy and forget all the good device I have given you, Ah, it would break my soul, Isaac, to have you given to naughty tricks, like some wicked boys that I know, who will be rake-shames in the earth if they don't die before their time comes. So don't gamble, dear, and always play as if you had just as leaves the minister would see you as not. She handed him a little bag she had made for him to keep his marbles in, and patted his head kindly as he went again to play. Ike was fortified for the next five minutes against temptation to do evil, but— chase span in the ring knuckle up or anything are potent when arrayed against out of sight solicitude and we fear that the boy forgot there is much reason in the old lady's fear a ghost story in the vicinity of a town not many miles from boston was a dark glen by the roadside reputed to be haunted a traveler had been found here many years before frozen to death and his troubled spirit with a disposition to trouble everybody else was said nightly to visit the scene of his mortal termination to have a melancholy satisfaction all alone by himself or with but such auditors as he could press in to participate in the services of the evening an old fellow who resided in the town and was fully imbued with the superstition had been one night to a husking where the milk-punch had circulated with more than common generosity and though na he had enough on board to make him comfortable and happy and glorious or all the ills of life victorious. Towards the hour of breaking up the conversation turned upon the ghost, by whose dark hunting ground our friend had to pass over a road raised up amid an alder swamp, whose sad gloom could hardly be dispelled by a noonday sun, and where nothing but a ghost of the most simple sort would wish to abide. With Tippany we fear na evil. Ascobay will face the devil burns said and milk punch we supposed to be about the same in its courage inspiring properties our hero snapped his fingers at danger from ghosts and unholy angels and cared for neither a bodle. it was a mile walk good to the spiritual precinct and thinking on his way that it would be the part of prudence to prepare for emergency before he came to the dark gulf he was to pass he gathered a small artillery from a stone wall determined, if assaulted, to do battle manfully for the credit of the punch. He had crossed a little brook that murmured beneath the rude bridge above it, and had fairly got through the dangerous part, as he considered it, of his journey, and muttered to himself, in rather a tone of disappointment, I guess he must be sick. Fog isn't good for him. When lo, almost directly in the path before him, was an object that made him come to a stand at once. It was all ghostly white, and he had barely time to look at it when a hideous groan came towards him on the night air which the milk-punch could hardly counteract in its effect on his nervous system. Rallying, however, he selected a missile and let it fly at his ghostly obstructor. Another groan, like the last bellow of expiring nature, answered this assault. He hurled another huge stone, And gathering courage from the excitement, he blazed away in a manner that would astonish either human or superhuman antagonists, but without any apparent effect upon the adversary, who stood his ground manfully—or perhaps we should say ghostfully. As the last stone of his ammunition was expended, however, with a cry that echoed fearfully through the alders, the ghost rushed towards him, and a violent shock laid him senseless upon the ground, a vanquished man. He was found the next morning, pensively sitting by the roadside, contemplating the scene of his night's exploit with his head in his hand. He told his story, and pointed to the scattered missiles for proof of what he had done, and he was believed, for to give up the ghost was out of the question. But on going home, a small white two-year-old bull was seen grazing by the roadside, and suspicion for a moment crossed their minds that this might have been the ghost, after all. Seen through the medium of the punch. But this would have been voted rank heresy against the ancient institution of ghosts, and they held their peace. End of section three.